Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. Welcome to OSW Daily, where each day we discuss the trending work-related topics with industry experts and thought leaders, and today's no different. Uh, I'm your host, my name is Steve Todd. I'm Global Head of Workplace at NASDAQ and a founder of opensourceworkplace.com. Open Source Workplace is a community for knowledge sharing all around work. So please feel free to go over and check out opensourceworkplace.com. Uh, so my guest today, who, who am I going to be chatting with? Well, I'm going to be chatting with Luke Camperman, friend of the show, uh, Veldehoin. He is a great thought leader and somebody who I turn to regularly for uh, contemplation, thought, process, and I'm very happy to welcome Luke back. So I asked Luke, Luke, what should we talk about today? And he goes, Steve, he's, these are the questions that I'm getting. Here are the things that I've been asked to look at. So how do you measure the success of distributed ways of working? Today, everyone is thinking about, okay, what way are we going to work? How are we going to work? But actually, how do you measure that success? And then the other one, which I think is a great, great, great point and, and a great conversation, tensions between individual choice, team choice, organizational boundaries. I think we all can relate to that. So uh, before we go further on, let me bring in Luke. Luke, welcome, welcome back to OSW Daily. You're a good man. You're a good man. I've got my coffee too. Uh, is this is my first? Uh, it will be my last, maybe, for the day. But uh, but yeah, no, it's great, great to have you back. Look, um, so uh, I've actually left a look. It's been a month since you've been on. Look, so uh, so those who maybe don't know you, what should they know about Luke Camperman? Oh my god, that, that's quite an opening, Steve. Um, I think the key thing that people should know is that I'm just. Um, um, have been for 18 years now uh, been very passionate about um, creating a better world of work and guiding organizations um, on their individual journeys towards a new way of working and I've done that in in Australia I've done that in Europe um, I'm, since four years I'm um, trying to help uh, organizations in North America based in New York um, and that still gets me up um you know really excited to see how you can make changes at an individual level at a team level and at an organizational you know more system level um my my passion though is that um in the end i believe we can make work so much more effective productive and enjoyable at the same time um but we just need to allow ourselves to um, invest some time and effort in to do that. And primarily we need to help ourselves to break down some of the barriers that we've put up ourselves. So new ways of working is actually not necessarily so much new, it's rather a lot of uh, unlearning um, the things that you um, started to see as a routine. And I think the, the, the whole, um, you know, COVID situation is just a massive accelerator um, to a lot of that. And in and, and, and crisis, people are always um, very nimble and quick to get into action, into survival, do what have to be done. Um, I think now it's it's the time to really consider like, okay, what, what can we learn from this? But primarily, you know, how do we then want to work in the, in the future? So um it's 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 a still a bit of a scary time right we still have that uncertainty about where where is it going we've got the announcements of potentially some of the vaccines um i think that gives people a sense of hope um but at the same time i think we should not forget that we will still be in this situation for quite a while right it's still 
a lot to be seen in how um, uh, how that will play out, what it actually will mean for are we going to show back up, you know, already next year? Maybe, you know, uh, it will wait for another 12 months. Um, but one thing for sure, it, it won't be back to normal. I mean, you've heard so many people talking about it. Um, I, I can not guarantee, but talking to all the clients that I'm working with, I can tell you that that indeed is not going to be the case. Um, and so that means that we have to um, properly, you know, need to rethink how do we organize ourselves? How do we show up? How do we then work as teams um, and connect? So, yeah, it's, I mean, it's it's interesting. It's good times. We had the election, right? There was a lot of uh, uh, excitement uh, and still going on. So, um you know, Steve, I always feel like when I talk to you, it's it's uh, it's interesting times. It is interesting times, and it's it's always interesting chatting to you. And there you go, like that quick introduction, and whoa, there we go, five minutes later, there we go. But you've just unpacked everything, and again, I think that what it, what that shows, look, is uh, the depth of your knowledge, the deep, the, the way you think, how deep you think, and sort of how you think through every scenario, and sort of uh, you know bringing all those years of experience to the fore. Uh, there's so many things you said that I kind of want to go through, and I, I definitely want to see a touch on the vaccine, and, and maybe how that maybe has in, influenced the emotional feeling of your clients but uh, you, you talked about barriers um to new ways of working what i mean do you think what what let's first start off with what are the traditional barriers and then how is perhaps COVID changed the perspective of of organizations yeah i think one systematic sort of barrier is um sits with you know the command and control versus the trust right that 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 is something uh, as i say you know um trust um you know is built up very slowly but it can go very fast mm -hmm. um traditionally um people being present in the office um gave that almost false sense of um people being productive and and um you know busy um, for you and you know you could always overlook people and look over their shoulder and in open plan it was even easier to see you know all those people working uh, for you uh, but you know were they really and and how productive was that happening etc and i think one thing that we um have learned is that now that most of us work from home and and let's not disregard that for I think it's roughly about 50 to 60 percent of uh, people in in the us um in, in essence cannot work from home right they have jobs that you know is bound to a place um and a time um so we we, we talk about you know the the 40 to 50 percent of people who are knowledge workers who can you know work remotely um and and then you hear like hey we did it you know we we could do it um, and, and so what does that really tell us, right? And what does that tell us about uh, the command and control? And I think one thing that we should be mindful of is that a lot of our leaders and managers, they haven't changed overnight, right? So they are hanging in there, um, but probably still primarily on the perceived success of how you manage and lead in, in uh, before COVID. Um, and so the, the key question will be, you know, 
what does that mean? And now also with, with the vaccines coming, you know, into the market, maybe in the first quarter next year, etc. Does that mean that they want their people to return to the office? And if so, for what reason? Is that, you know, back to the command and control and, and mm -hmm. overlooking people, what they're doing? Um, how are we doing that in an inclusive way? Like, how do we make a decision on who's in, who's out, who has the choice, who doesn't have the choice? Um, but the typical barriers, I think, that um, we have all seen fallen away is like people can't be productive working from home. And, and that was still what a lot um, of our managers um, told themselves that, you know, people can't be trusted. They can't do it. Well, I think without many ex uh, much exception, people have shown that we can do it. Um, I was actually um, the other week talking to uh, one of the uh, larger banks in Australia that I used to work with uh, years ago in Sydney. And they say, like, productivity is up, engagement is up. Um, even the agile teams that, you know, had to be together, you know, with the 10, 12 people um, seem to be more productive. Now, what is the long lasting, you know, uh, effect and impact of that? That That is still to be seen, right? But the first um, signals are there that um, actually, you know, we we can do this. Um, so yeah, that, that those are my insights. But I'm I'm keen to hear from you. What 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 do you see happening? Yeah, no, and and, and sort of anecdotally to what you said as well. Any evidence that I've seen is the perceived produ productivity of individuals. People feel more productive at home. They also feel much more productive at home when they have a dedicated space at home to work. Right, so if you take that subgroup, if you look within your organization and you go, okay, who has a dedicated space at work, to work from home and how much more productive do they feel? Because when it comes to those focused tasks, they have the ability to create their own office space. They can close the door, there's no interruptions, there's no distractions. They can just simply plug themselves in and work. And, and, and that should not be lost. Now, there is the other view where, okay, so those individuals who don't have that dedicated space, and absolutely, are they uh, at a disadvantage at the moment because they don't have that dedicated space? There are people in their homes, there's distractions, there's interruptions, kids are home, w whatever those things will be. And what I hesitate to look at, and the way I sort of look at this is in, in a negative way, I'm like, well, if they knew that for the next 12 months they were going to be locked down in a pandemic, would they lease a space that would provide them that environment or would they make a different decision because they knew that's what the outcome was going to be would they then be more thoughtful about where they lived where they moved to the type of space and environment they wanted to create for themselves if they knew that was more sustainable now if they were given that time and that sort of opportunity to create that environment would they also then feel the additional productivity factors because there's make no mistake open plan offices as you know when you're sitting in them they're great to be able to look over people's shoulders interact collaborate overhear conversations that people are doing but when you need to do focused work and not within knowledge workers most work you do is focused work um, with little bits of collaboration and touch base but that's predominantly what uh, that focus work is then we really have to think and if the goal is to bring people back to the office how then do we provide the space to allow people to be as productive in the office as they feel whenever they are home because how do you make that balance how do you then encourage and tell people to come to the office if they feel they're not as productive when they're home so that's, uh, that's, that's sort of where my head sits. I don't have an answer, 
But again, I have all these questions and I think the most important thing is, and that's one of the things that whenever I first talked to you, I think it was April or May, we've, we, I first called you up and I said, so what are you thinking about this? How are you doing this? And you said, patience, just be patient. Just take your time, think, learn the data, understand what an employee wants. And that's where I'm sitting. So I'm asking myself all these questions. I'm not trying to hurry into sort of making a decision absorbing the information and uh, you know some of the topics that you've talked about are, are so relevant because when I saw those I was thinking well, that's exactly what is in my head right now that tension between what the employee wants what the employer needs and what the organization needs because the important, most important thing is to make sure they're all succinct, succinct so that the organization can improve yeah now great point and in 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 essence, what you touched on is uh, connection, right? Um, to me, connection is almost the, the crucial word in in um, in all of these uh, topics. It's the you know you touch on the connection with your your family. You know, I I literally uh, had to chase out by my family because I had a really early start. So my girls slept with my wife and I had to get them out of the bedroom uh, to join this call you know that that is um, you know just a matter of fact like how, how we yeah. um, would I make a different choice if I had known that this would be like for 12 months um, probably I probably would have you know chosen something that I can create a different um, setup for myself um, and now going forwards knowing that and this is again still on average that we will continue to work from home for about two, two and a half days a week. Well, that might lead to people making different uh, decisions, right? On where to live, how to live, mm -hmm. um, uh, etc. Um, the, the other thing is connections in the virtual world, connections like in, in person. Uh, I think so many people, so many different opinions on, on you know what is really needed but generally you know people like the in-person and face-to-face -face, and we we generally miss um some of that um but equally within my team um, i have a few team members who say like hey i'm i'm fine i'm good i can continue this way for quite a long time and yeah it might be nice now and then to see each other but we we you know can connect and i think the key question there is how closely connected are you as a team how well sort of you know do you know and understand each other and each other's needs how closely are you connected again to the purpose of what you're trying to achieve to the goals um, then time and place independency could and should be there right um and so that that i think is is a basic element um if you have a good sense of ground health if you have a good level of uh, um, psychological safety within mm. the team and and don't feel like you're in the dark, you're isolated, you know, fear of missing out on things, etc., then you can perform. And, and and maybe that leads a little bit to, you know, the, the, the topic that we uh, threw up for today is like, how can you measure success in distributed ways of working? It almost goes back to the question, why would you need to measure it so what what sits behind you know the need to measure it because i think steve for yourself as well you can think of situations where you go like i feel connected with all the people that i need to work with i know from everybody what we're doing 
I know and I feel that we're all doing it for the same, you know, goal and purpose. Do you really then feel the need to measure, you know, certain things with each other? Or, you know, is, is that ground level of health and that connection strong enough um, to move forward? Um, now, in general, I think the bigger the organization, the more connections, etc. there is, again, a little bit of that sense of command and control, right? There's a sense of how can we, um, and, and I think that will not go away. We still have to deal with some of that. But the big question for me is with all this happening, um, organizations have to seriously reconsider what are our leading and lagging indicators of success. And without a doubt, quite a few of them might have to change because of the, the dramatic in change uh, in, in the way of working. Um, I hope, personally, that we start looking at more leading indicators. You know, what leads to a high-performing team, to a high-performing organization? What do we need to invest in? How do we envision that, you know, going forward? In other words, longer-term perspective on it, right? Investment that comes with it. The lagging indicators generally are there, right? Mm -hmm. Your organization, Steve, as well, they they know their revenue, they know their profitability, they probably um, know other, you know, KPIs or measures that they have in place. Um, that, that might still, you know, continue. Um, and, and back to one of our conversations we had earlier, Steve, and, and I know you and I are aligned on this, what does success look like for your clients, right? What is really that added value that you're delivering to your external partners? Um, that is the starting point, and then focus on your people. Success in the end, and in, 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 in our organizations, it starts and it ends with people. Nothing more, nothing less. And so if you really um, look at that and knowing you know, what has happened to us and how you wanna move forward, you need to look at, okay, how do we recover from this? How do we actually um, take opportunity out of this? and start rethinking how we want to, you know, even uh, uh, be better going forwards. Um, and then what does high performing actually mean to us as a team, to you, to me? What does high performing mean? Because often, very often, see, we don't have that clear. Mm -hmm. and, and what does that in the end, what does that then lead to? What does that lead to the amount of focus time? You know, to very practical things, the amount of time in meetings. What does collaboration then look like for us? Now, primarily more in the virtual world, but what, what do we expect from that? I think that is something that teams need to start redefining for themselves again. Then you can start saying, okay, and what are here the leading and the lagging, you know, indicators for that high performing success? And then you know for yourself what, what you want to measure going forward. And that can range from you know, more individual well-being and, and focusing on the individuals that can go uh, around um, effectiveness of managers and how they lead teams that can go around how do we actually know how we spread our working hours across a week and, and how does that sit for different roles and for different teams? Can we correlate that back to how those teams are managed? You know, different type of management style, different type of spread throughout a week. How many hours overtime, you know, is, is killing 
you know, is, is leading to bad impact on, on uh, people's engagement and well-being. And now the key question is, uh, and that's where we, you know, back to that starting point, but how can we do this if we don't see our people? At least not that much, you know, then, yeah, you might want to, you know, uh, um, have new things in place that can help you to do that. For me, it's still back to that ground health of connection. It's that psychological safety. But even for that, you might want to consider, okay, how could we measure that a bit more? Because maybe in the past, and I think for quite many, we didn't really have much of that. Again, we came to the office. We knew that our 20, 10, 50, whatever people were there. And, and we had a sense of, you know, controlling command and knowing what's happening. Yeah, and, you know, you, you basically circled it all back that actually we did rely heavily on what managers seen, right? So presenteeism was really important if you think in that in that viewpoint. But actually, whenever you take some of the things that you th you're, you're suggesting that are needed for success through for distributed teams, then actually you have to really think. I do want to sort of like there are going to be folks listening who are going to be and I'm certainly going through look where you're talking about leading indicators. So understanding it, it's going to be different for different teams, different companies, different industries. But give us a flavor of what some of those leading indicators may be. Yeah, yeah. The, 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 there are actually two that every, I guess, pretty much everyone who's listening are familiar with: um, pe people engagement and um, uh, client satisfaction or net promoter mm -hmm. score. Mm -hmm. um, are actually leading indicators, right? Because they tell something. It's a, it's a momentum. Yes. So you sort of look, but it's telling something about the future. Are you? If your people are engaged. They will invest that time and the effort in where you uh, what you try to achieve, right? If your customers are satisfied and and um, are promoting you, that is a signal of future success, right? Um, but other leading indicators could uh, um, they they are um, more difficult to to measure often, um, and they uh, typically come with an investment. So if you look for new innovations or for new markets or for better well-being because you believe that will lead to more uh, productivity, what are the things you think you have to do to invest in to make that happen? And then try to quantify that. And, and with well-being, you could do that, right? You could have certain things in place that you think will help with the well-being of your people that you believe will help with overall high-performing teams, mm -hmm. you know, better um, client satisfaction. The, the lagging indicators are the, the ones that we are typically quite used to. It's looking in the back mirror, right? It's looking in retrospective, like what was the revenue? What was our profitability? But those are the ones you can't influence anymore. That happened. That's in mm -hmm. the past, right? That might give you some input by analyzing it, thinking forwards, but that's what, why it's called lagging indicators. The leading indicators are more aspirational. They are moving forwards. They typically come with an investment, typically a bit harder to quantify and, and, and measure. Um, but I think they are more critical because some of the lagging indicators often lead to a very short-term focus. Like you can be very happy with the profitability of this month, but it could have gone at the detriment of some of your leading indicators that you actually want to work on that leads to more well-being and better productivity in the future. 
by focusing on the profitability that you, you know, mm. let's say in, in a very exaggerated way, squeezed out, you know, um, this month. Um, does that make? Yeah, no, 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 absolutely. I mean, I, I knew exactly where you were going to go with this, but it's more of, uh, um, I just really want to give people some sort of like uh, flavor of what you're referencing. And I think what, what we sort of have to look at is we think about the, that leading indicator of, of uh, employee engagement at the moment, I think most organizations will attest that actually it's highly elevated in 2020 given what everyone's gone through, which is remarkable. And had we said that this would be, we actually would have thought employee engagement would have been lower, but actually employees are more uh, engaged. They do feel more connected to leadership, to management, to the strategy of the organization. I think there is more communication and almost it feels like with a distributed way of working, organizations have to be more informative, have to be more communicative, which actually does raise the level of engagement and also employees need to rely more on teammates in this way of working than actually you may typically do or acknowledge that you do in an office environment. So I think it's really, it's the really important things to raise. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the opportunity here in, um, in what we could measure, and, and this is a little bit more um, towards um, the big data. And, and, and last time, I think we touched on it, Steve, briefly, is, you know, we can ask people how they feel right and people engagement typically is is you know via surveys and pulse checks etc um uh, i think there's an opportunity to also look at you know what people do and you can do that via um you know like 360 feedback and ask others like you know how does steve act and operate and um and and you can do it via um, um uh, workplace analytics you can you can look at how much time do we spend in certain meetings? What if those meetings are repetitive? How much multitasking is happening during those meetings? So in other words, how productive are those meetings really? How how many people actually show up in those meetings compared to how many people were invited, etc. And so there, there's many things that we can look at, um, you know, uh, that are really interesting, you know. Why do certain teams or departments ma uh, make way more um to do after hours um and other teams don't and actually lead to the same or even better or lower you know uh, productivity results and my hope and my excitement actually is that with more of that data we can bring it back to the people less command and control less sitting that at the top, you know, executive level, level or in the, the management level, telling, you know, what's happening and telling them what should and should not be done and, and how to interpret that. Bring it to the teams. The teams know very well for themselves. Yes, sometimes you need to guide that a bit, but what does high performing actually mean for us? Mm -hmm. What do we and can we then measure? Bring the data to them. Let them make sense of it. Let them have the dialogue. Let them be closely connected, and what you know can be done uh, uh, more effective in a different way. Test and learn. See in a month's time what does that what does that lead to? You know, can we move forward? It, and and then yeah, we're back to that nimble, agile way of organizing yourselves, right? And and yeah, without a doubt, that we'll see way more of that than I think it was already changing, Steve. Let, let's also not you know. I think COVID has had a, a profound impact, um, but we were on a path, right? We were already um, 
using more technology and this will accelerate it but now i think the behaviors team performance again what it actually is what do we want to measure and why um are, are really critical questions and i think if people think ah we now you know with a vaccine we close to back to normal and you know mm. let, let's just leave it as it is i think that's a big mistake a very big mistake yeah yeah no no it is and, and just as you were talking there i was just going through some of the action items that i've been sort of taking place are, t are doing in the, with the team over the last uh, month or so look and uh we've been doing a lot of focus sessions with different locations around the world and you take the poll survey questions and you do it in this sort of environment where you take a poll with video with people on and you see the result and then you go well why is that right why why do you want to go in on a wednesday more why do you want to go through into work more on a friday because believe me in some locations around the world people want to go in more on a friday because of the social activities that happen after work on a friday evening so and this is the beautiful i, I lived in sydney i lived in sydney Steve. i know i know <laughs> i know so it's so it, it really is it's really important to ask the question but then also really understand the sentiment behind it Right, and uh, I, I think the employee engagement surveys are great things. They're great indicators, and I really think if you take it, and don't get me wrong, it is time consuming to do that level of detail. But then what you also get to see and what you get to hear is the real employee feedback and the conversation, the dialogue between employees when they have these conversations. You also get to see who are the teams who are truly connected and who are the ones who are basically not so connected. And it's fascinating to see. It's fascinating to see. But look, I'm conscious of time. I really want to move forward because I really want to touch on this last subject. Look, because the tension that you mentioned, right, and you said this through to me because I know every organization is discussing this, right? How do you... What are, well, let's start with what are the tensions between what an employee may want, what an employer may want, and what the organization needs? What are some of those tensions? Yeah. It's, um, and one, one of our clients is, is calling a choice with responsibility. And um, I think generally it's easy to give, well, no, but I, I, I need to correct myself there. It's not easy to give choice but it's easier than to clarify what with responsibility actually means and, and the impact of that. And um, an example I always like to refer to is, um, it was actually an experiment here in the US with a, a school and there's a playground and there was a fence around it. And from one day to the other, they took away the fence. And the experiment was that they wanted to find out if you know the, the kids would play further away from the school and, and you know, that choice, that freedom. Um, but the counter effect was true. They started to play closer to the school because somehow it was, it, it felt weird to them, right? They did not know what their boundary was anymore. Of course, you've got always the, you know, the, the, the one or two persons who take, you know, that freedom and who might, you know, run away. But typically people do that. So, if you offer a lot of choice, and there's even a lot of psychological research, you know, behind this, um, that can be very overwhelming as well. Like, what choices do you then make? And then the question is, you make choices at an individual level, you know, what works for you, but it might not work for the team, right? Then you make choices at a team level. What might work for the team might not necessarily work for the organization because you're connected to other teams, right? 
And so it's a very delicate um, sort of process to find out what, what that looks like at those different um, levels. Now, I think it's, it's top down and bottom up. The organization has to define like, okay, what are, what's our new fence, right? And how many doors in the fence? And so you need some of that guidance. Uh, and then you need to go bottom up and see what that means uh, for different teams. And I think in the end, it is um, simple, but difficult at the same time. It is again, back to that word connection, team connection, um, being clear and having clear agreements on how do we want to work as a high performing team? What do we expect from each other? And then you need to have that discussion with other teams, right? And who you collaborate with. But it, it does come down, Steve, to things like, what do we expect from each other if you and I start emailing each other at 10 p.m. at night? What do we expect if the manager sends a lot of emails between uh, uh, 6 p.m. and 12 a.m. on Sunday nights? Um, you know, what, what do we expect from the different communication channels that we have? It's quite simple, but what are the typical channels? And if it doesn't go via those two or three channels, in essence, we um, say it's not communicated, right? Uh, because you need to have some ground rules that you agree to um, as, a, as a team. So it, it does not really have to be that difficult, but it does mean, again, that uh, teams have to reconsider what does this new normal, this new way of working, what does that look like for us? How do we know we can still deliver on the goals and the purpose and our external stakeholders, right? That we service for and why we are alive as an organization, the reason, you know, um, to be. And, and then, you know, how can we uh, perform towards that? How can we measure that? But that sense of connectedness, um, ground health of psychological safety, I mean, I, I I mean, I, I, again, this is one of my patients about how can we um, ensure um, that, you know, diversity and inclusion is happening in, in this remote, you know, virtual world. Isolation, I think, is the biggest risk that's awaiting for us um, because it's so easy not to be connected, right? And it's easy to over time get used to it and not really understanding the impact it has. So how can you, you know, proactively lead and manage a team uh, through that? Um, and, and again, that, that is, I think, one of those leading indicators, like what do you need to do? What do where do you need to invest in? And I think we haven't had really that headspace yet, you know, back to where you started mm -hmm. off today. Let's, let's not sit still but let's take it slowly and really consider in, in a profound way what this means uh, to us. And then sense-making is what you and I and, and your teams are doing together. Let, let's leave it there, but we need to ensure that it happens. Yeah, and uh, it was funny, I was just joking with you beforehand that whenever I get a phone call, it comes through my head and I can longer hear you. So uh, it's kind of funny, that's just happened and, and, and there we go. So I'm hoping that uh, you, you're able to hear me okay. But uh, there's, so, there's so many things that I wanted to sort of touch on there because um, it's it's a case of, uh, let me just say, as my music just come on, as I said, all, all this happened before. I just told you this was likely to happen. So um, yeah, so uh, thinking about that, that sort of fence, 
right? Should that approach be structured or unstructured? Because here's where my head, this is the dilemma that I go through. If you put too much structure, it becomes rigid. And then you actually are creating those boundaries and you're telling rules of engagement that may not work for different people within the organization if you go too unstructured then how do you keep control right and and it's and it's really hard to sort of do so that's what's going through my head that's what i'm really playing with yeah now and and we i think we should um not see it as a burning field um approach um like you know everything is gone and we fully start from scratch right maybe occasionally that is that is the case here or there but um i think the the key thing is you still need to be mindful who you are as an organization what your purpose mm. is what 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 your set of values are not not necessarily on the wall but the the set of values and how they show up right uh, in in you know the in the understream how we do things here and so what you um change or what, what you put in place should still talk to that right if you have done it in a certain way in the past i think you know it's very hard to fully flip that around right and and the school is an example of that you cannot mm -hmm. just say then like well let's take it now fully free flow then like let, let's have fair we we take away the fence let's just see what happens i think that will not be the case you know we mm -hmm. still um, uh, primarily because we have to deal with shareholders and stakeholders and they want us to be in control, right? To a certain right, right. extent of what happens in the organization. Um, but to explore that and to consider like, do we put the fence a little bit further out? Do we have, you know, doors or holes in the fence? You know, um, who has the keys, you know? Um, um, I mean, all in analogies, but yeah you know that that sort of discussion needs to happen but i i i hear you it's it's uh, i think that might be different for different now it will be different for different organizations it will be different for different departments could be different for teams um and and yeah even for individuals right you need sometimes different different ways and that's why as a manager um being connected again the word connected i think is so so important there is already data that I recently uh, um, stumbled upon that shows that if you have a certain level of that one-on-one -on -one manager connection with your, your people, um, it has a positive impact on that connection and that sense of purpose and knowing where your people are. Now, then the question is, okay, how much of that is happening? And is that an all-inclusive? Or is that attention going to a few and less to others? Mm -hmm. um, and um, there, I think we can measure a little bit more and 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 bring that data to ourselves um, to consider. Yeah, look, we've gone way over time, and I could keep going because I trust me. You said that, and I've got so many questions, and, and I had other questions written down here to go through with you. But again, we just. Uh, we just talk and we'll, we just we'll do it after after Thanksgiving, Steve. <laughs> for sure, for sure, for sure, mate. Well, look, have a great Thanksgiving. Look, I appreciate your time and energy. Um, where can people find you? What's the best way to connect with you? Uh, email, LinkedIn. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm always up for a good conversation, so they can. I know you are. Uh, I know you me. are. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I got to test to that. Look, look, thank you. I appreciate it. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving and uh, great to chat with you. And I'll speak to you soon. Likewise.